Greetings and welcome to the audio etheric transmission, The Tales of Sage and Savant, a Twin Star production. This broadcast is brought to you on the first of each month from the Twin Star Studios in sunny Southern California. Our tale stars Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. This month's program, entitled A Far Future Universe, is sponsored by Thinking Inc. Press and features the music of A Halo Called Fred. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. When last we saw our adventuresome pair, they had become an unexpected trio, as Mix Entwistle unknowingly took a trip through time and space to end up at the death of Pompeii. The perturbation of that experience has the poor girl rethinking her dedication to galvanism, and indeed, to science itself. And so, using the exact Cladney pitch and galvanistic amperage, I was able to follow you to Pompeii, and the rest you know. I am sure you can see why we must not report my research to Mix Cunningham just yet. Yes, but... No buts. The fact remains that Cunningham is looking for any excuse to close my lab, notwithstanding the funds from the Chargé du Fer. And I cannot risk him using the fact that we are repeatedly electrocuting ourselves as fodder to achieve those aims. Once I have enough data to prove the scientific worth of my research, I will rush to him with my results. Until then... I cannot trust that he will treat my research or my person with any respect. But what you have discovered is groundbreaking. Surely the college will want to support that? Well, I think they will, once I've answered enough of the basic questions. For instance, we went to New York of the 1920s, but that's barely 30 years ahead of our own time. And yet you went nearly 2,000 years into the past. Does this mean we could travel 2,000 years into the future? Would it be wise to try? Is there some cosmic barrier to the future? For example, could we only travel to the end of our own lifespans? And what should happen if we ran into our older selves? There are many ethical and philosophical considerations here on top of the scientific ones. There are far more pressing ethical concerns than you seem to be addressing yourself, Doctor. What do you mean? The past is not just a stereo opticon played out for your edification. It is a series of events intertwined into a current that leads directly to the present. I've been thinking about this a great deal since you stopped me from saving Hilaria. We could not have saved her. I know that. But what if there was something you thought you could change? For example, what if you decided to go back in time and kill Nero in his cradle? Will that stop the fall of the Roman Empire? At what cost? If Rome never fell, would Great Britain never arise? Would Europe have expanded into the colonies? It seems to me that the, the path of history is like a children's domino snake. Remove a single tile and the whole ceases to perform. I can see your point, but really, how can we have harmed history? We inhabit the bodies of the already dead, and at no point have we had the opportunity to change the course of history. This is exactly the sort of narrow vision I'm speaking of. You see only the value of your own experiments. You weigh only the moral constraints that serve your intellect. You do not imagine beyond your own laboratory. But what of those that come after you? Those that will use your technology for their own ends? Do you assume they will not try to use it for profit or power? Well, I hadn't thought. That is the problem you hadn't thought. 
But you must consider the ramifications of your research if you are to continue. Continue? Well, of course I shall continue. Nothing you have said changes that. However, you do make very good points, and that is all the more reason to keep my research secret until I've established the necessary parameters. Don't you agree? I'm uncertain whether I agree or not, but I will keep your secret for the time being. For the time being, thank you. I promise from now on I will inform you in advance of every procedure we undertake. I will share all notes and recordings with you. I will keep you completely informed at all times. Then I shall hold you to your word, and we will revisit the discussion before summer term. Thank you, Abigail. And so the good doctor will be allowed to continue her research, for now. And we must turn our attention to stranger things. After her discussion with Mix Entwistle, Petra, against her greater desires, changed into a dinner gown and joined Erasmus at a King's College gala event to honor the work of eminent Lewis Howard Latimer, whose pioneering work on apparatus for cooling and disinfecting has provided the basis for the environmental controls in Dr. Sage's laboratory. The doctor was thrilled at the opportunity to meet a fellow scientist. She simply objected to the formality and pomp of the event. Petra, my dear, you are a vision. I do not see why we must dress for these things. Surely Professor Latimer does not require us to be fluffed and feathered for his lecture. Oh, now, dear, don't be grumpy. It'll spoil the effect of your careful toilet. Your left glove is soiled. Shall I dust it off for you? Despite her outward disgruntlement, the doctor had a splendid evening surrounded by other scientists and thinkers and a wash in a sea of champagne. By the time she and the doctor returned to the lab, her mood was vastly improved and they were both quite sozzled. <laughs> Professor Latimer is quite a charming fellow, isn't he? <laughs> well, that depends. If your name was Thomas Edison, you might not find him so. Edison is an ass. Oh, we certainly did not have a lot of friends in the room tonight. Too bad Nick wasn't there to join in the fun. Nick Tesla? Now he, my dear, would have been a spoil sport. Everyone knows Tesla has no sense of humor. Ah, contraire, my friend. Nick has a fine sense of humor. He just will not gladly suffer fools. Oh, and which category of persons do I fall in, dear doctor? That scientist or a fool? <laughs> neither. Neither, dear professor. You are a singular thing. Like Friday. You can only be described as the thing itself. As a girl Friday? Well, then, do I only exist to fetch and carry, serve and occasionally enlighten you regarding your own brilliant thoughts? More enlightening and less fetching and carrying. I have no trouble getting my own drinks. And speaking of which, hand me that bottle. There must be a clean beaker or two around here somewhere. Ha! There you are. Cheers. Here's to us. Ways like us, damn few, and, and they're, they're all, all dead. dead. <laughs> you were saying... I enlighten you? And just how do I work that magic? You help me order my thoughts, which is no small thing. I'm glad you appreciate my Herculean task. I did not say it was Herculean. 
I am quite adept at thinking all on my own, thank you. Which reminds me, I must tell you what Abigail and I discussed earlier. Has she helped you order your thoughts, then? That is besides the point. What she did was help me to see how my work might lead to other scientists' misappropriation and how we must set some sort of rules or limits on the technology for the safety of all history. As serious as that? Why, yes. Imagine if someone were to take it into their heads to assassinate Nero or bring an invention from the future back to our own time. Assassinating Hero would be useless. He was not single-handedly responsible for the fall of Rome. History doesn't work that way. Singular events are never the result of one person or even one government, but rather a conflict. confluence of events, plus catalysts, plus opportunity, plus random chance. Nero isn't important here. What I am saying is Abigail thinks that others might choose to use my technology for personal gain, to satisfy some agenda of power or revenge or horror, just to obtain riches. (laughs) What part of the human race are you not acquainted with, dear? Of course someone would try to use it for evil. Isn't that why we're keeping it a secret? No, we're keeping it secret so that I can keep control. Oh, oh, so you can be the one to venture into the far future and learn the technology to bolster your ideas. No, that is exactly what Abigail was saying we must guard against. And I think I agree. The right idea at the wrong time could prove disastrous. I suppose it's a good thing that you cannot travel too far into the future, then. What do you mean, I cannot travel too far into the future? You've been with me 30 years forward into time. Yes, but since that time, you've been concentrating on exploring the past. I just assumed you'd encountered some kind of barricade to the future. And of course... The only technology we were exposed to for any length of time was that automatic seam sewer, which I don't suppose would cause any great catastrophe were a certain professor to spend some of his off hours tinking with constructing such a little thing. Forget the seam sewer. And there is no barricade. Why would you think that? Well... As Hegel poised in his greater logic, thought and being are identical, so therefore we would be unable to travel beyond the end of our own lives, as once being ceases to exist. Thought would perish as well. I just assumed you'd work that out. Ah, but if you look deeper at Hegel's writings, you will find that the concept of true infinite better encompasses the reality of self. And if we are infinite beings, then our thoughts do not cease. We could go thousands of years into the future if we wanted. You are exaggerating. I think you can only reasonably expect an ability to travel within the span of our own lives. Perhaps the late 1940s or 50s. It is you, dear Erasmus, who depreciates the scope of my work, and I shall prove it. Come. You aren't planning to transmigrate Yes, now. now. We shall fly into the far future and prove to you that we are infinite. (laughs) I have no doubt that 
that you are infinite, Petra. You do not have to transmigrate to prove that to me. And so, in a flurry of discarded clothing and drunken laughter, the two prepare to leap into the unknown future. In an uncharacteristic lack of scientific integrity and exactitude, the Doctor fails to make notes or an Edison recording for this journey. Instead, she helps the Professor onto his platform, takes her place on her own, and flips the switch to send them into infinity. Will the Doctor's belief hold true and allow their consciousnesses to remain intact once they cross the threshold of their own lifespan? Or will the Professor's adherence to early Hagelian thought prove correct and bring this drunken endeavor to disaster? We'll find out after this short musical break. Now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the delightful musical stylings of A Halo Called Fred, with the portentous, This Will Not End Well. To our story. 
When last we saw our heroes, they had tumbled drunkenly into an unscheduled, unplanned transmigration. And now they have awoken here, and I haven't the faintest idea of what I'm supposed to... It is my job. Yes. Well, yes. But what am I to do? Yes. Uh, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, I must apologize for my lack of professionalism. It is my sworn duty to relay the adventures of Sage and Savant as they happen, and to not add inappropriate commentary to that discourse. As such, it is my pleasure to tell you that our heroes did survive the journey into the far future, and have arrived <clears throat> in a strange white room with no furniture other than the tables upon which their prone bodies lie. Now, that is strange. Erasmus... What is strange, Pep? My mind is telling me I'm intoxicated, but my body is unaffected by alcohol. It's a very disorienting feeling. Are we in the far future, or is this furniture in the 1950s? How could one tell? There seems to be nothing in this room other than us. How strange. This garment I'm wearing is supple and, and very close-fitting, but there are no pockets of any kind. Look. Some kind of reaction when I pass my arm over the table. See how it lights up. Well, that is strange. Oh, I felt that. There was a distinct electrical tingle when I disengaged from the table. Wait, let me test it. Petronella, be careful. You do not know what these reactions mean. I think this is a Faraday setup. There's some sort of contact electricity between these suits and the table. That is genius. Using the metal table itself as a flat-field conductor, that allows the suit to absorb the energy at multiple contact points, evenly spread across the surface. Unbeknownst to our heroes, their every word and action is being observed in this place. Petra, these scientific ruminations are doing nothing to help us discover where and when we have landed. I stand by my assertion that we have progressed no farther than the future of 1955, can you offer a reasonable counter-argument? Yes, I can. Firstly, I set the Cladney pitch to C2, which is 24 steps below the pitch that took us 2,000 years into the past. Secondly, look at the genius of this room, our clothing, and this induction table. Have you ever seen the like? We must be far into the future. The combination of this table and the Faraday armor would allow for a much more even distribution of the electrical signal. Far less chance of contact burns. Why didn't I think of this? You did. Or you will. And now we know how you came up with such an advanced idea so early in your experiments. Dr. Petronel Sage, what an honour it is to see you again. And Professor Erasmus Savant, I presume. Pardon our delay in greeting you, but we did not know to expect you. The historical record shows your incursions into the far future did not begin for another couple of years yet. Who are you, and how do you know our names? I'm afraid I cannot give you my name, but you may refer to me as Transmigrationist 501. 501 for short. Pleased to make your acquaintance. Might I inquire as to where and when we are? I'm not at liberty to tell you that. It is against protocol. A transmigrationist? Protocol? Excuse me, Fire One. Fire One. 
It is a play on my registration number. Uh, fine, Fido One. I do not know how you know our names, or how you know the term transmigration. But my friend and I would appreciate it if you would stand aside and allow us to venture out of this room to determine our whenabouts. Thank you. Unfortunately, we cannot let you out of this room, Dr. Sage, for your own safety. Our safety? See here, what is out there? It is not what is out there that is dangerous, but rather what you might learn that could adversely affect Dr. Sage's research. What do you mean? What might possibly harm my research in this place and time? Well, we obviously missed the clue of the induction tables, but your arrival today has highlighted how quick your mind is to jump from observation to creation. We cannot possibly let you see any further iteration of our technology for fear it will change the course of your research. I do not know how we miss the record of this visit. The Chargé du Fer meticulously keeps all your Edison recordings and notes. You the have my notes? I have been approved to tell you this and no more. The Chargé du Fer keeps complete records of your groundbreaking research, which has allowed others to follow in your footsteps and practice transmigration for the edification of all mankind. In fact, I am the 501st person to practice the art. The body you're inhabiting, Doctor, is Transmigrationist 486, and you, Professor, are being hosted by 492. Wait, these were not dead bodies, but they're living ones of people who are currently transmigrating someone? <laughs> History says you're brilliant and quick to make deductions. Am! I am brilliant. But if it is possible to transmigrate into living bodies, then it must be possible to leave a body without the contingency of death. Interesting. And any invading transmigrator would, of course, need to vacate before a traveler returned to his own body. Or would they? Perhaps the returning transmigration would force the ejection of the occupier. Don't mind her. She does this all the time. Mate, I trouble you for a glass of water. Oh, yes, of course. Are either of you hungry? 486 and 492 have been traveling for a week now. You must be. I'll have food brought as well. Won't be a moment. The second 501 leaves. I know she wants to be called 501, but that is ridiculous. Right, yes. Different people deal with stress in different ways. Yes, I have it. <clears throat> the second 501 leaves, the doctor begins to pull at the Faraday armor she is wearing. Erasmus, will you look? Is there some kind of automatic seam sewer here somewhere? Petra, why are you trying to undress? There is no clothing in this room. I don't care about clothing. I want to see how this suit works. I cannot detect any copper coiling below the cloth, and it is so very thin. I want to see how it is constructed. Also, Fiber One said they were traveling for a week, but there are no intravenous feeds, no catheters. How are they keeping these bodies alive? Well, that is curious. I don't see a seam sewer, just the seam... Wait. Oh, I think if I tug here... Oh, my goodness. <gasps> it's magnetic. Amazing. But how does the magnetism not affect the flow of electricity? Oh, there's no time to think of all that now. Erasmus, help me out of the suit. The things you ask of me. This is not me. This is just a body I happen to be using. Funny thing, though. The more we travel, the less time it takes for me to recognize you in whatever form you've taken. This body may not resemble yours, but your animated spirit gives her your facial expressions, your mannerisms, and your complete disregard for propriety. 
Huh. Oh, has mankind evolved to eliminate all forms of body hair as well? Oh dear. I can see you really mustn't be left alone. I'll take that suit. Can someone bring Dr. Sage a robe? Dr. Sage, I'm afraid you really must attempt to refrain from learning any more of the technology of this time. You must remember rule number three. Uh, rule number three? Oh dear. What date is it in your time? The 14th of April, 1894. Why? So you've managed to come to us one week before creating your own rules to govern transmigration, of course. Uh, what do you mean? I cannot say more, I'm sorry, but just for your own good and for the good of your research. Ah, here is a robe for you, Doctor, as well as food and drink. Please, help yourselves. It is an impossible task to tell you what is happening, dear listener, which I am sworn to keep in confidence, so I cannot fully describe the scene or the reality behind it. What I can tell you is that the bodies our heroes have occupied are hungry and thirsty, and that our adventurers both eat and drink. What I should not tell you is that the food was drugged, but I have not been given adequate guidance on what to do in this situation. To be honest, none of us were prepared for the exigency of a surprise visit. Travelers are down. Let's get them cleaned up and back on the platforms. Can someone bring back Abigail's Faraday suit? We must not use names within the doctor's hearing, Fioan. Zushi, I did not think. They were both unconscious. Our minds remain capable of listening even while we sleep. It is too soon for Dr. Sage to learn the secrets of our order, and names are a powerful doorway into truth. Yes, Zushi. You've met her many times before, haven't you? My pathway and the doctor's have crossed in the past, yes. Is she always so intense? When I met her at King's, she was distracted. But today, from the moment her eyes opened, she was weighing and examining everything in this room. And I thought there was nothing here of note. The Doctor has a powerful curiosity and a driving need to achieve success in her field. I suppose that makes her intense. She knows that which you do not yet understand that the smallest of seeds often yield the mightiest sequoia. I cannot tell you who our Zhu Shi is, though those with sharp ears may have recognized him. Suffice it to say, the Chargé de Fer has a long-running interest in the doctor and her research, and that it is important that she continue her work without prejudice. Whilst my colleagues prepare the bodies of number 486 and 492 to allow for reverse migration, we must take a moment to check in on King's College, where Abigail's commitment to the doctor is about to be tested. Dr. Sage? Hello? You left the lights on again? Dr. Sage? Doctor... Oh, no, you haven't done... Now, Doctor, you promised me you wouldn't transmigrate again without me being present for the event. And here you've gone off just hours after that promise. How am I ever to trust you when, when you don't act trustworthy? And you, you've left your beautiful dress on a heap on the floor, gracious. Corset and all, how very untidy of you. Dr. Sage, Miss Entwistle? Max Cunningham! 
whatever brings you by this hour of night. Not that it is any of your business, but I have paperwork to take care of. And what, pray tell, is that you are holding? Uh, this is Dr. Sage's, uh, the doctor's corset. That is why I'm here. I came to help her remove her finery after the party for Professor Latimer. She really should employ a lady's maid, but you know the doctor. Yes, I know the doctor. And will she not come out to greet me herself? <laughs> In her wrapper, are you mad, sir? I am sorry, I did not think. You are right, quite right. Will that be all then, sir? Yes. No. Tell me, Abigail, how do Dr. Sage's experiments progress? With energy, sir? And have you nothing suspicious nor against college policy to report to me? Not at this time, sir. Everything the doctor does is in service to her stated scientific goals. <laughs> well, I shall take my leave then. Oh, good night, Miss Entwistle. Max. Your pardon? Uh, Max Entwistle, sir. It really shouldn't be so difficult to call one by one's preferred pronoun. <laughs> yes, well, good night then, Max Entwistle. That man really is insufferable. Having diverted Cunningham, Abigail settles in to wait for the return of the doctor, fully intending to give her the bollocks for breaking their agreement before the ink had dried. Let's leave her to her vigil as we pause for a word from our sponsor. And now we join an already in progress fireside chat with Eddie Louise, author. Well, yes, I suppose so, isn't it? It all comes down to the writing, really. And how do readers find those books? Olive Publishing still works on word of mouth. Good books get talked about, talked about books get read. It's really that simple. In your opinion, what is one of the best ways to discover new authors? Short story collections like the new one from Thinking Ink Press are a great way to get a taste, if you will, for an author's style and narrative thrust. Thinking Ink Press? Yes. Thinking Ink Press has a short story series that includes the volume 12 hours later. It is full of exhilarating stories, perfect for fireside reading. That was 12 hours later from Thinking Ink Press. Is there anything else we should know? Yes, Chip. I was honored to be part of a very talented group of voice actors who created audio versions of some of these stories. The latest anthology sometime later is soon to be released, but you can listen to these audio stories on sageandsavant.com or thinkinginkpress.com. That's thinkinginkpress.com. And now, Eddie, let's talk about the difficulties you faced writing a special Christmas bonus episode. Those were dark days. Buy your copy of 12 Hours Later, 30 Days Later, or Sometime Later at Clockwork Alchemy this Memorial Day, or order online at thinkinginkpress.com. Yes, dear friends, you heard it here. For a cracking good read, check out books from Thinking Ink Press. And now, back to our show. When we left our heroes, they were being evicted from the far future and returning to a laboratory staffed by a highly irritated mix and whistle. And there you are. Oh, my head. Oh, can someone dim the lights? Drunk. You actually decided to transmigrate drunk. I had something to prove. And you were there anyway. It was your body that was being prepared. No, that's not right. I don't know why I just thought that. Why are you here just the now? You left the lamp on again. You betrayed my trust. No. Well, no, I didn't intend to, at least. 
Erasmus egged me on. I did. I challenged her intellect while she was blotted. Never question the good doctor's mental acuity when she is under the influence. It drives her mad. I fail to see how that constitutes a betrayal of your trust. I had promised not to transmigrate without informing Abigail in ah, advance. Ah, you did not tell me that. No, I did not. The fault lies squarely on my shoulders, Abigail. I am sorry. It truly will not happen again. I need to tell you, though, of the most marvelous discovery. We went into the far future, and they knew of me and my work. They had the most marvelous induction tables that evidently I myself will invent. I just need paper and pen to make some sketches and notes. Dr. Sage, we talked about this. It is dangerous to consider bringing technology from the future into being before its time. This is different. The tables they were using were invented by me. Final One told me so, and all of the ingredients necessary to reproduce them are available to me now, so I don't think this technology will prove as problematic as you suggest. I am slightly mollified that the technology you learned of in this trip is your own invention and contiguous with your current knowledge, but the basic objection of bringing back future inventions stands. What if those tables had been invented by a different scientist? Would you consider it ethical to take that person's invention away from them? To steal another scientist's work? Beyond the danger presented by future science, the moral questions are insurmountable. I, I don't. Well, I wouldn't. Of course it's not ethical to take another's work and claim it as your own. I could never consider doing such a thing. All the more reason to create a hard and fast rule. No future technology. I cede your point. After I build the induction tables, I'm not stealing because future history says I am the inventor of them anyway. And really, Abigail, they will be so much more efficient and safe. I do not relish being the voice of your conscience, Doctor, but it seems that I am the one to do so. We shall talk more of this in the morning, and we will begin to write out the rules of engagement for transmigration so that we can avoid such conundrums in the future, eh? Good night, Abigail. Thank you for your most prudent counsel. She will keep you on the straight and narrow, won't she, Pet? Perhaps I need that. I hadn't considered the ethical conundrums of transmigration. Will you help me to draft a set of guidelines for us to follow whilst traveling? I have no doubt your own moral compass is finely calibrated. In relation to all things but you, dear Petra. And so our heroes retire after their journey into the far future, their heads full of questions and hearts abrim with more determination than ever. Transmigration will become a solid branch of scientific inquiry but it will need to do so with clear ethical guidelines. As for those of us at the Chargé de Faire, we will continue to observe and record the Doctor's journey of discovery until such time as every corner is illuminated, every shadow lifted from every grave. In the words of the immortal Petronella Sage, death is no barrier to science. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a Twin Star production, brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Eddie Louise as Sage, Chip Michael as Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. The episode, A Far Future Universe, was written by Eddie Louise. Are you interested in the historical information we included in this episode? Go to our website for additional historical information. 
Theme music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. Special music in this episode was A Halo Called Fred, the best guitar, bass, violin, and Tupperware band in the universe. They have new songs coming this April and a live performance at the Steampunk World's Fair. For all information, visit ahalocalledfred.com. Our episode sponsor was Thinking Ink Press. Listen to sample chapters of some of their books on our website or visit them at thinkinginkpress.com. Catch our website at sageandsavant.com and like us on Facebook to stay current with all things Sage and Savant. And remember, death is no barrier to science.